0: Hello and welcome to the Education Redefined webcast series, where I uncover educational best practices and share success stories with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about teaching and learning with me. Hi, my name is Sandhya Lakhampal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube join our Facebook group for the latest trends in the field of education. Welcome to this episode of Education Redefined. In this two-part episode of empowering students with dyslexia and reading disabilities, I speak with Gina Mitchell, a teacher and proud parent of Sam Mitchell. With almost two decades of teaching experience, she created a village around Sam to make him a well-rounded, fun individual who is now gearing up to study podcasting, social media, and entrepreneurship. Gina brings a unique perspective on early identification and early intervention. She talks about the initial diagnosis, challenges of navigating through the school system, and providing the most appropriate resources to make Sam successful. Much like other parents, she remembers the overwhelming response after the initial diagnosis. Through the years, Gina has set up many pillars to make Sam successful. Not only has she been an advocate for her son, she has taught Sam to advocate for himself and utilize his strengths to become a successful podcaster and engage with his listeners in a meaningful way listen as gina talks about how she worked to provide sam with the pillars of support the road to success may be long but there is light at the end of the tunnel hi gina thank you for taking the time to come and speak with me and my listeners on the education redefined uh, podcast series i appreciate your you taking the time this
1: evening thank you for having me i'm really excited this is um, I think the first interview I've done by myself um, without my son Sam, so I'm excited. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, yes, Thank you. Um, and for the listeners, I want to say this is a two-part series. Um, Gina is the proud mom of Sam Mitchell, who um, who is also going to be my guest speaker, but at the end of the season. So that's something for the listeners to look forward to. Um, today I have Gina, who's going to be speaking, speaking a little bit about how. Um, um, how Sam has navigated and uh, through the school system from the initial diagnosis of special education, um, and he has truly come into his own. He is he is a success story in in the making. He is a professional podcaster at this point, um, uh, an official spokesperson for other. Uh, people who have autism, and um, he's really looking into entrepreneurship as he goes in from high school to college at this time. So Gina, I am so glad that you're you're here to talk about not just the initial diagnosis and the emotional aspect around that, but how you've navigated the landscape to make Sam successful and truly Sam is a spokesperson for his entire community at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me take you back to the initial years when uh, Sam was initially diagnosed. Um, Tell me a little bit about how did you um, first see the signs that, that Sam needed that extra support in the classroom and then how did the diagnosis take place? Like, did you have to nudge the school system for a diagnosis, or did you go seek an outside agency for a diagnosis?
1: The diagnosis process actually was, um, I don't want to say easy, because, you know, hearing that your child has autism when you really already know, um, just kind of solidifies it and you know, confirms it. So that's that, that was hard at, at that time. Um, but, you know, Sam, um, we started noticing when he was one or two years old that he was, you know, not developing, um, you know, mentally like he should. He did everything late. I mean, he crawled late, he walked late. Um, And then we noticed he hated loud noises, he hated his routine messed up, he lined everything up, everything was very orderly, but yet he was very, very smart. Um, So uh, being a teacher myself, I had had students in my class that had autism and I didn't have, and I still don't have any formal training on um, autism, but it just comes with the territory, you know, with education. So I knew a little bit about it and um, we, we kind of knew something was going on. Um, but he was officially diagnosed through the school when he was four um, through a behavior, behavioral psychologist, when he was in preschool and, um, We purposely put him in a preschool with other children with special needs because the um, and then there were also, you know, typical children in there as well. But the um, teacher had several he had a lot of training um, with young children, um, with autism, ADHD, and and other disabilities. So, um, you know, it was just within a week, he sat me down and he said, I cannot diagnose this. I'm not a doctor, but this is what I really think is going on. So we're going to, um, bring in an autism specialist and have her watch him, you know, two or three times a week for like a month. And, um, you know, because he was doing, he was having meltdowns, um, he was, he went, I remember he went through a phase where he didn't want to wear a shirt. And I remember, you know, that was, and what was so heartbreaking was when he started preschool, um, he's always gone. We live in the district in which I teach. And I could hear him from my classroom screaming because he wanted me, he wanted, he didn't want the shirt on. He, uh, they changed, you know, the routine or something. It was daily, and it was so hard not to just go rescue him, but I never did because it was the right thing to let the professionals, you know, like calm him down and everything. But that was really tough. Um, but but the school did, um, as far as with the uh, initial diagnosis, um, they did very well. I, I don't have any complaints at all. Um, we were very informed and, um, it just, you know, kind of fell into place whenever they told us he had autism.
0: Tell me a little bit about your background and how has that positioned you to help Sam?
1: Well, um, so I've been a middle school teacher for about, uh, 14 years. Um, and I've taught total for, I'm going into my 17th year, Um, So I've taught all the way in some way, shape or form, in some capacity, grades five to 12, um, whether it be through summer school. um, I think seventh grade actually is the only the only grade I haven't taught, I I think. But in some capacity, I've taught all the grades Um, and you know, it kind of stems from my college years. It's not like we had a really elaborate class on this is how you teach children with disabilities. Um, It was more like, this is how we can help you differentiate your curriculum. You know, we don't get a lot of, you know, full on training on that. That comes with um, kind of figuring out things on our own. Um, But the fact that I was an educator and had a little bit of training with children of all abilities that hundred percent was on my side. Um, I knew the laws and I know the laws now. Um, And so, you know, when Sam came to me when he was in elementary school and he came home and he said, mom, he said, I have to write 25 journal entries tonight. I said, no, you don't. And he said, no, but the teacher said I did. And I said, I don't care what the teacher said. I know that, you know, you like within your IEP, there is we we specifically wrote a reduction of work. Um, You get to use technology. You don't have to write anything. You get to use a laptop. And so um, I just knew that. And I knew that the IEP is a a legal document. And if it's. not followed, then that's illegal. And so I, 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 I have that background information, and I have, as a teacher myself, being on my side of the fence. I have seen other parents come into IEP meetings just so confused and just kind of like trusting everything that we say, and um, which you know I'm obviously take care of my students, but I can, I mean. They're putting their their faith in us, right. and a lot of times, not a lot of questions are asked, and um, it that's that's hard to see sometimes. But being a teacher definitely helped a lot. Right, right.
0: So, I mean, I know you said you you've you kind of trained yourself to to look at the components of the IEP and the IEP meet navigate your way through the IEP. Can you talk a little bit about how did you train yourself to look at the data? in the IEPs in in the accommodations and the interventions that were given. Um, It is very emotional for a parent to sit in, whether it's the initial diagnosis or the yearly touch point of the IEP meeting, It, it can be so overwhelming for the parent to put that emotional aspect aside and just focus on what is the best mode best route for the student how did you navigate your way through those meetings train yourself to understand the language of that iep and then support you know find the right kind of support system for sam
1: well um You know, again, I just kind of having the background with some of the terminology, because sometimes, you know, they, um, you know, you have parents coming to these conferences from all backgrounds. You know, parents might have a high school education or they might not, or they might be a professor or they might, or just, you know, have a nine to five job, but be, you know really good at paperwork. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, people that come in. Um, but I guess one of the things that I did too was you have to read it and you have to, it's because it, it's very intimidating. There's a lot of words and sometimes it's like a staple packet. Um, and I don't know, I just, I, I think I always thought in my mind is what we are putting on this paper for Sam going to help him be successful and if something if a suggestion is made to you know for something to go in that iep but as a team we don't really feel like that would benefit him then that doesn't need to go in there but if 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 i think that it's going to benefit him then as a i would tell a parent always bring it up um and you know, the school's in charge. I mean, that's what they do. But on a, a kind of on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, the flip side of that, the parent's in charge. The parent knows. The parents the parents shouldn't be intimidated by a teacher that's saying, I don't really think that will work. Well, then you say, why? Get like taught, let, let's collaborate and let's figure this out. But, um, you know, I can remember... Early in Sam's school career, there was talk of putting him in a resource room all day. Oh, wow. And um, we have resource rooms at our at our school for a reason. There are kids that need to be in the resource room because that's what they need to be successful. Right. I knew that that wasn't what my son needed. And we said, no, that's that's not really up to you. Like that's he needs to socialize. He needs to be in general ed classes with accommodations, and so um, there were times that I had to. I, I mean, as a parent, you have to speak up, and it's not like you're going to just get your way every time. I mean, it's a it's a collaboration and it's a team effort. Right. Um, but parents need to parents need to have the reins, you know, right. when it comes to their children. So.
0: Right, and I, I think what I'm hearing is that that it's the the child is in school for only so many hours. You. you are observing so much more on the home front, right? That's why it makes so much more sense for a parent to be part as a team of collaborators to make the child successful versus being on the receiving end. So what I'm hearing from you is, don't be afraid to go through the paperwork. Mm-mm. Don't be afraid to disagree with what you, what you see on that paper or what you hear in that meeting. And if you see loopholes or you feel like there are extra supports that can make your child successful, don't be afraid to bring that
1: up. No, and, and find your person find your, um, there's somebody like, cause there's a lot of people that work in a school and, um, there, I'm just trying to think of like Sam's people, you know, it might be a math teacher. Like one of his people was his junior math teacher. She came in and gave him all the confidence in the world that, that he could do math. And, um, his uh, Sam, So one of Sam's accommodations is called a float pass at his school. And, um, you know, in middle school, the TAs or the special ed teachers will come to the classroom. But then in our district, when they go to the high school, they don't come in the classroom anymore. There's a resource room, a couple of them. And then Sam has this pass. And it's not like he has to show it every time, but he has, like, written in the IEP once Sam gets the information, he can say at any time, I'm going to the resource room and he can never be denied that because he has been denied that with like a substitute teacher or maybe a new teacher. And that didn't happen very often because I, all I had to do was pick up the phone and call the um, resource teacher and say, this happened, please make sure that doesn't happen again. And so, you know, it's not like Sam could, skip class and just, you know, and he did that a couple of times and got in trouble because he was like, I think I'll go down there today. And I'm like, you didn't even get the information, you know, you know, that's not allowed. So he he gets the information and sometimes he would be down there six or seven times a day. And that's, that's, that's what he needs, you know, to be successful.
0: Right. So, right. I think that's just normal where te- teenagers are concerned, you know. I mean, yeah. they, they all play hooky. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. just yeah. part of growing up. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, so, talk I know you mentioned supports and tools for SAM, right? Can you talk to me through the years of school? What kind of tools... Have has the school provided for him to be successful? And then have you felt the need to provide external support and what kind of support was that?
1: Yeah, um, excuse me, for sure. he. Um, so he, when he was in elementary school, uh, he was always placed in a classroom where one, um, the teacher might have had some like background with autism. Um, I know his kindergarten teacher his fourth grade teacher and there was another grade where the teacher did have um, like extra training in uh, students with disabilities or autism. So that was helpful. Um, And then of course he had, uh, the biggest thing with Sam was technology. He, if you give to this day, if you give him a pencil and he has to, and he'll do it, but it's not real effective for him. Um, if he has to write a story on paper, that's a really bad idea because the, the processing for whatever reason, from here to the paper with a pencil, it's broken. Like it's just part of the autism. But if you hand him a laptop, he is like, he's a podcaster, so he can type and type and he's creative, but it's just something with, with that. So we got that wrote into his IEP very early like very early. And there were times even up to high school where he would bring something home and, you know, he would have this whole, like he would have several pages of notes written. This was just like a year or two ago. And I said, do you, do you feel like when you're taking these notes that you can listen and that you're comprehending or because he has a very hard time multitasking. And he said, well, no, not really. And I said, well, then what do you need to do? Right. You need a laptop. And he said, well, he said that I had to take notes. No, you don't. <laughs> I have this piece of paper that says you don't have to write down notes. And and your resource teacher knows that, too. She doesn't know that this is happening. So you have to, you know, and, and most of the time, he was very good about advocating. Um, but he, you know, he, he wanted to take notes like everybody else was. But don't. It's
0: that peer pressure. Yes. Yeah, do yes. What you need yes. Yes. Um, And since you opened the door, I'm going to ask you on that advocacy piece, right? So the elementary years, of course, you have to be a spokesperson for your Mm -hmm. child. Middle school is that transition period where they Mm -hmm. start to find their feet and their balance and all of that. How did you train Sam to basically be a spokesperson for himself? How did you train him to advocate for himself? Because now that he's going to college, he's going to have to go to the professors and have a conversation on his own. So how have you basically encouraged him to take charge of his, take the reign of his learning in his hands?
1: Well, I I think of a couple of things. Like the first thing, I think he, as a very young child, he watched me do it. He watched my husband and I both um, be very adamant that now, you know, we understand that you have autism and we're going to give you all of the tools, you know, for you to be successful, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you there's still expectations in this house mm-hmm. and um we never ever have said sam has autism he probably can't do that that's we've never said that right um there are things that sam probably can't do but there's things I can't do either <laughs> so I there mean, are things
0: that he can do well, like are... out of the box thinking that you and I can't
1: do. Exactly and right. then vice versa like it's just kind of being a human. Um, but yes um i think that was the first thing is he saw that we were always very adamant about you know how are things going um and then i always and i do this with my students too sam has always been taught never be embarrassed um and and hopefully parents lots of parents are saying that to their children um but i as a teacher i've seen parents be embarrassed themselves and say, I don't even want to tell him that he has a learning disability. I don't even want to tell him he has autism. I don't want him to be labeled. I don't want this. I don't want that. And the whole time I'm thinking, what do you want? Right. What's, why aren't you telling them and like giving them the support? So we have always encouraged Sam, I don't care how many times you have to go to the resource room. If you have to go down there 16 times in a day to be successful, then that's what you need. And I need things to help me be successful. And so we never, ever painted his autism um, and his ADHD Mm -hmm. as a negative thing. That's, he's never, he's, he's never Mm -hmm. like, it's probably been negative for him at times, but it's never been portrayed as that in our family. Right. Sam is Sam. And you just happen to have a brain that's wired that resembles. I autism. think
0: everybody's brain is different and you just have to find your skills and come into your own. Right.
1: right. Um,
0: and so I'm going to ask you one final question. So it takes a village for any yes. child to be successful. Tell me a little bit about your village without the school. I know the school is part of it. Home mm-hmm. is part of it, but what other, people have supported Sam's journey. And maybe you can give me a little bit of glimpse on on, into how he came into podcasting, because that's where he has really, really flourished, right? Um, So yeah, tell me about how has how have people encouraged him to come into his own over
1: the years? Well, I can't stress enough that it has taken a village. It's taken a few villages actually um, to get him where he is, but a lot of it's him. I mean, he, he has made, I mean, we have raised him the way that, you know, we think that we should raise a child, but it's really, a, you know, he could have gone down lots of different roads and this is the road that he did. Um, so of course, school, of course, home, um, his extended family, where all, we all live very close. My husband's side of the family and my side of the family all live within, um, no joke, like three miles, four miles of each other. So we all live in the same community, and he's always had the grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, his friends, um, and then with podcasting a lot of the village within the last couple of years has been fellow podcasters. It has been people that have that believe in Sam as much as we do and are so inspired by him and tell him that and keep in touch with him. And um, yeah, that, so, you know, that was really, he, he became a podcaster. He started his um, his junior year was tough because it was, just kind of, a, they gave a lot of homework and he, it's you know, was yeah. just a really tough year for him socially. And, um, but he found his media, the media club at school and his mentor started to, um, like teach him podcasting and it just clicked. I mean, wow. it, it's, it's like his thing. He understands it. And then he came home after a few weeks and he was like, I think that I could do my own podcast, mom. And I knew very little about podcasting, but um, I immediately—I never, rarely—told him no if he wanted to try something right. um, that obviously was like safe and reasonable. Um, but he did it. He he asked for his birthday for a, for a middle of the road soundboard, a microphone, and he had a computer. And um, it started as a hobby, and within when he started getting sponsors um about probably about uh, 8 9 months ago it changed the whole ball game into wow. a full-fledged business so he he's it, it's amazing amazing <laughs>
0: stressful amazing. how but- has it been how has it been for you has i mean emotionally when people podcasting it's a virtual community right it but when people circle back and reach out to you to support him how has it been for you from the negative emotions at age 4 to where he's at now i want to hear your perspective on the positive emotions part of it
1: it's i think it's it's beautiful like i i, I feel like you have these families that have um, people that are like children that are on the spectrum, and for so many years, it's been this negative thing. I can tell you story after story. Um, just today, we were in the doctor's office because he had a his like 18-year checkup, and um, I'm part of several like autism Facebook groups, and there was just post after post of mothers and fathers that were saying, "Oh, we get our diagnosis today," frowny face, or I'm really stressed. I hope they don't have autism. This is going to be terrible. Right. And I just, I want to like look at them and say, but it isn't, it, it, it it is not terrible. Even if you have a child who is low on the spectrum, nonverbal, they, they have something to offer. There's skill. There's a skill there. And so often the autism itself, this negativity, overshadows all of these things that these kids can do. Even if they can't talk, it it doesn't matter. Right. They still have something. So um, that is that's his mission. I mean, that is the mission that he is on: is to one day destigmatize autism. Right. It's not. It's not people that have autism, like Silicon Valley. Most of the people that work in Silicon Valley that are creating phones for us and creating technology, they are on the spectrum, right? They are, we have companies that are hiring, which uh, people that are on the spectrum in in the job market is still a problem because 70% of them are not getting jobs. And that's huge. That's a big, big problem. Right. But lots of times, these these companies like Amazon and these big um, corporations are purposely hiring people that are on the spectrum because they don't make mistakes. They want people that are very hyper focused, and you know. So we have all these positive things happening, and then this the stigma
0: right. is still right. existing. Right. So. I think it's amazing the way Sam is kind of peeling the layers of the onion to show that there's really this beautiful person that exists, right? You don't don't judge a book by the cover. Don't judge mm-hmm. me by my label. There's so much more to me than right. just that label of special education, whether that be dyslexia or autism.
1: Yeah, Thank it's you one so piece. much. One piece. Yes, one yes, piece.
0: that's one piece, and and all of us have so many facets to ourselves Mm -hmm. we as we who are classified as normal have so many facets to ourselves i mean i can't i get made fun of all the time for not being able to do mental math and i am not on the spectrum i still have to use pencil and paper so we all come with our strengths and our deficits and we, we we lean on our strengths and we find our way in the world and that's exactly what sam is doing and Kudos to you, Gina, for making him successful because you have given him those pillars of support for all these years for him to advocate for himself at this point. Do you have any final words of advice for the listeners
1: before I say? Well, thank you? I, I will say a couple of things because you said that we're normal and, you know, we that's kind of part of Sam's mission. We've we've written mission statements and that is always part of it. Um, we don't believe there is a normal Um, nobody gets to choose that. People try to, you know, people in society try to classify what's normal. Um, but that's not fair. That's not fair for people to say, well, you're normal or you're not normal, but I am like, that's just complete unfairness. So we don't believe we don't really use that word just because I'm, I mean, what if, what if like, I'm the one not normal and Sam is normal. But I'm pretty sure I'm not normal. So that's, you know, and we, and we need to be okay with that. Right. It's all right. It's like, it's okay to be weird. It's okay to, you know, be yourself. Um, But I guess the last piece of advice I would say to parents is you got to be patient. You have to um, let them express themselves the only way often that they know how. And if nobody's being hurt, and it's reasonable even if it's not reasonable but nobody's harming themselves and nobody's getting hurt you gotta let them do it you gotta let them you know you gotta let them come into themselves and um even as as crazy as sometimes it seems it's you just gotta let them be them always no matter what right because they have
0: to find their own voice and every child does every child does. So so what a beautiful way of putting it what what is normal and who are you to define normal? Thank you well
1: so and, much. Um, and thank you and, I was, and I'll just say really quick too. Um, sometimes as a parent too if you're watching them or they're they're doing something, you're like, why are they doing it that way? that's that's not normal. They shouldn't do it that way. okay why? And maybe they're skill building. you don't know. like maybe it looks like something that most people don't do. But maybe they're just, you know, Sam had a really quick, Sam had a, um, he's had two NASCAR drivers mm-hmm. on his show. And when, when he talked to them, they said, when I was a kid, my parents got really aggravated because I was obsessed, which we don't use the word obsessed anymore, right. obsessed with matchbox cars. Mm-hmm. No, they weren't obsessed. Mm-hmm. They were building and honing their skills because they now drive a NASCAR. That's what all they were doing. Right. And so I think, that it, as hard as it is sometimes because hearing about dinosaurs for 8 hours is really hard <laughs> but at the same time within reason maybe they're just prepping they're right. really prepping for something so right.
0: <laughs> and, and it can be hard as a parent to let go right is is right. what i'm hearing is is trust trust in your child have faith in the process let them go solo and find their own niche is what I'm hearing so yeah yeah thank you so much Gina I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and talk about Sam and his success stories and I promise my listeners they will get to see Sam at the end of the season (laughs) thank you again I hope you you, um, enjoyed um, spending time I I certainly did Uh, I'm looking forward to interacting with Sam
1: thank you so much thank you I enjoyed it
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Education Redefined. We welcome feedback. Join our Facebook group to leave a comment or a question. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for our next episode.